arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. It's Jimmy, it's Angel. Don't pay no attention to my other message. You're out of it. You're clean, no trouble at all. Just ignore the first message. Jimmy, old buddy, buddy, it's Angel. You know how they allow you one phone call? Well, this is it. Jimmy, this is Angel. Listen, I got this new pad right over by the Hollywood Freeway, and some friends are coming. Why are your record player? Jimmy, Angel, here's a tip, but his handwriting's bad. Third son in the fifth race at Balmettles. Wait a minute, it could be fifth son in the third. Wait, this might be next week's race. Jimmy, Angel, listen, Eddie Talaferro just gave me a hot tip on a class filly in the eighth out at Holly Park. Only trouble is I need 20. I am a huge fan of the Rockford Files and Jim's friendship with Angel Martin. Having exasperating characters around an investigator and around strong and volatile characters is the juice that fuels the forward thrust of the story. On a risky drive north, Jones, Coco, Father Gallagher, and Bucky Driscoll are heading to Maine and Tammy Welch's funeral. Information about Duff Davis is surfacing back in Hamilton. Jones is about to find out some forensic information. We'll steer this information in a different direction. This is Bucky Driscoll. Episode 4, The Death of Dr. Poe. Dr. Poe, whoever the hell he was. Episode 4 begins now. Hey, how was that? The Strange Death of Dr. Povich. Chapter 17. Coco was the first to smell the radiator fluid. Jones's eyes opened wide when he saw the gauge stuck near the boiling point. I thought this thing was fixed. Well, what happened? asked Gallagher. This is a new Jeep. Oh, at Club Max, Bucky... Never mind. We still have 15 miles to Portland. He downshifted. Maybe I should just pull over and get somebody on the cellular. Nah, just keep going. 15 miles. Come on, Jonesy. Jones slowed to 45 and kept the car in a lower gear. A few seconds later, the first vestige of steam rose over the hood. Oh, not good. Jones veered into the breakdown lane as steam covered the hood and blotted the windshield. He stopped and took out his phone. In the driver's side mirror, the little escort's brake squealed behind him. There he is! This is all his fault! Jones leaped from the jeep and stomped toward Bucky as cars whipped by on the highway. Bucky rolled down the window and stuck out his lower teeth as he spoke. Hey, Jeep giving you trouble? Giving me trouble? In frustration, he clenched his fists, and for a few seconds, the words wouldn't come out. You're you're the one who smashed my car. Yeah, not my fault, coach. I was executing a rear movement in my vehicle, which, of course, was the second vehicle. Vehicle number one was a late model Toyota, green or, or was it blue? Bucky stroked his chin and squinted. He forced vehicle number two into vehicle number three, your car. Now I've created a schematic in my notebook that I can show you. Jones spoke through his clamped teeth as Bucky reached through a stack of papers on the front seat. Bucky, you wrecked my radiator. My Jeep is less than a year old. The perpetrator was clever. Dirt on the license plate. Very good ploy. Everyone had mud on their cars. The road was a mess. That is a possibility. Let me think about it. Coco now swaggered around the Jeep as Jones threw his hands into the air. He quickly walked up to Jones and peered at Bucky. Hey, Roden, 
What the hell are you following us for? You have a fugitive from justice. Coco gripped the window and shook it. Jones thought he might rip it right from the doorframe. Soon he was nose to nose with Bucky. What's it to you, sewer breath? Coco waved his hand through the air. What do you do, live on garlic? Don't worry, I didn't call the police. Well, that's real nice of you. Coco stood as Jones fumbled with the phone. Jonesy, call a limo. Battery is down. I don't have the charger. My phone is in Velvet's purse, back in the vet. Damn. Velvet? Coco faced Bucky again. The security cop moved back in the seat. You're going to be a hero and drive us to Portland. Huh? Jones stuck the phone back in his pocket. He returned to the Jeep and informed Gallagher of the change in plans. As Gallagher stretched his legs outside, Jones pulled out his suitcase and locked the Jeep. Coco was still next to Bucky's window, pointing and yelling. What's the Hamilton College campus security man doing up here? asked Gallagher. Feel free to ask him, said Jones, moving next to Coco. Coco leaned forward again. You're a little maggot. I'll have you and your car here crushed to a pellet. Bucky's eyes opened wide and he rolled up the window. Coco pounded on the window. Come on, open up. Bucky's voice was barely audible inside the glass. He's threatening me, coach. I can have him charged. Jonesy, I'm going to knock him on his fat ass. He says he's sorry, Bucky. I never said that. Bucky cracked the window. I will not tolerate harassment, Jonesy. Bucky, open the car. I need to put my suitcase in the trunk. Pop it. Jones could feel Coco's tense body behind as Bucky stared at the keys. By trial and error, he tried the keys one by one. Come on, what is this? It's an icebox out here, shouted Coco, still behind Jones. Gallagher leaned toward Jones. Thias, I don't understand why this campus police guy is following us to Maine. Jones watched Bucky insert yet another key into the trunk lock. He closed his eyes. Father, he's like a bad penny. Now, why would I take that trunk key off the ring? Asked Bucky. He held up another key in the air. This is Muriel's storage locker in Prince William. Let's just get inside, said Jones. He tried to open the driver's side, but the door was held together with rope. Coco's eyes were stuck open, but the sides of his lips curled upward. Jones stepped forward. Bucky, open the car. Ah, this one, he said, sticking another key into the trunk lock. He twisted the key, but it wouldn't budge. Hmm, seems like the right one. As Bucky stared at the other keys, Coco hoisted the pudgy security guard into the air, carried him along the driver's side, and plopped him in front of the door. Open the door. Bucky's teeth jutted out and he squinted through his glasses. He again looked at the key ring. Then I have to untie the rope. Why would you tie rope around your door? I won't lock. See, it was cold the other morning. The door was stuck and I pried it with a crowbar. It don't close no more. Coco looked into Jones's eyes as Bucky ran around the car. He adjusted his baseball cap and stepped back. Jonesy, get us in that car or I'm going to kill him. Jones approached Bucky. The security cop yanked the door handle. Bucky, just get us to Portland. Open this door. Eh, as soon as I find the key, I will. Bucky's car engine, straining under the weight of the additional passengers, rumbled along the interstate. Jones, seated directly behind Bucky and wedged between the suitcase and Gallagher in the back seat, leaned forward. They had just passed the Portland city limits. Coco, in the passenger seat, slid the heater lever. We need heat in here, turkey. Bucky pointed to a small LCD readout on the dash. A wire was taped to the dash with duct tape and wound around the window antenna. 
Outside temp is 5 degrees Fahrenheit. Inside, we're at the double nickel. Just turn up the heat. Jonesy, how far are we from your hotel? We're 10 minutes, said Bucky, gripping the wheel with both hands. How do you know where I'm staying? asked Jones. You forget, coach, he said in a lower voice. I have access to the latest and most modern surveillance equipment. I'm aware of your every move. Coco grabbed his coat. You record me and I'll hang you up by your nose hairs. Bucky's eyes opened wide and he began fumbling with switches under the dash. Okay, okay, you don't have to be so pushy. I'll shut it off. Is he recording us? asked Gallagher. Bucky leaned so far forward he was barely able to see over the dash. The car slid into the breakdown lane and traveled precariously close to the metal shoulder rail. Coco grabbed the wheel with his left hand and maneuvered the car back onto the highway. You're gonna kill us, you lunkhead! Bucky sat up. Yeah, I must have a malfunction. You know this mail order stuff. I keep sending my checks to this Mexican address. I thought it was supposed to be New Mexico. Took me three months to get this installed. Don't suppose they'll take the equipment back. Jones held the map. We need to take exit five. The highway hospitality is right off the exit. I could have told you that, said Bucky, now holding the wheel with both hands. He looked over to Coco's feet on the dash. You know, you really should be belted. Coco turned and removed a revolver from under his leather coat and strapped to his sweatshirt. You're going to drop us off at the hospitality, moron. Then you're going to take this shitbox of yours and head back to the junkyard. Bucky spoke in a higher voice. I can do that. This guy can cooperate. Jones gazed out the window. Yeah, and be alive to live another day. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 18 Gallagher leaned forward in the hotel room chair and watched the Celtics basketball game. Jones munched on a piece of pepperoni pizza as Coco threw two cards at him and then fanned his cards across the table. A cigarette hung out of his mouth and he nursed a beer. What do you got, Jonesy? Ah, a pair of threes. Jones threw down the cards and shook his head. Aces and a pair of ladies. Are you cheating? Are we playing for money? No. Then I ain't cheating. You stink. He inhaled on the cigarette and turned to Gallagher. What's the score, father? Keeps going back and forth. 67, 65 Celts. Jones stood and looked at the phone. Two hours ago, he received a message at the front desk from George Strickland, indicating he would call the main hotel at 9.30. He checked his watch and sat on the bed next to the phone. I wonder if he's found something. Gallagher kept his eyes on the TV. It's that period between 4 and 4.45. That's the only time Duff Davis could have gotten to the rectory. Jones glanced at the phone. I still have difficulty believing Duff killed anybody. Kid has a drug problem, Jonesy, said Coco. He ground his cigarette into the ashtray and started toward the tiny refrigerator. If Povich was going to let it out... Coco took another beer from the box. Hey, listen, when your life is threatened, you do things you normally wouldn't do. Look at Father. He went into hiding. It's right, Matthias. It would only take a few seconds to sprinkle the Betatol hydrochloride into the food. Jones shook his head and pressed his lips. Duff had made a big mistake by getting involved with pills. Once hooked, his life spiraled downward. The phone rang, startling Jones, and he quickly picked up the receiver. Matthias Jones. It's George. I tried your cell phone. The battery's gone. It's a long story, George. I'm off the air until I get back to Hamilton. We've uncovered something significant in the Povich case. He looked at Coco and then at Gallagher. 
What did you find out? One of Phillips's men located a witness four blocks from the rectory. Witness to what? Well, this woman saw a blue Mercedes drop Duff Davis off at Lowry's drugstore on Davenport and 16th mid-afternoon. You're kidding. Elsie McIntyre. Yes. I have Duff in custody. Kevin is on his way over and we can't find McIntyre. Jones thought about Duff's motive again. What does Duff say to all this? Says he was in the area, but he hitchhiked over to Prince William. Says he was picked up by an older gentleman in the Mercedes. He's lying. He's nervous and he's talking to L.G. Bentley about representing him. Then she brought him over there. Gallagher had turned down the TV volume and both he and Coco now watched Jones. They must have known each other. I need to talk to Fred about this. Fred would know if McIntyre and Duff knew each other. You know what I'm thinking, said Strickland. Yeah, I know what you're thinking, George. The two of them worked together for different reasons to kill Povich. I think she drained Povich's finances. I think she stole money from the Elton Grant. Well, there's no doubt about that. And Duff's drug habit was about to be made public. Jones creased his brow and slowly raised his tightened fist to his chin. That's the part that bothers me about this whole thing. Why would Povich make Duff's drug problem public? Why would Duff even risk more by murdering Povich? It doesn't make sense. More fundamentally, Matthias, and you know the kid. He plays for you. Is he capable of murder? I don't get that impression from talking to him. Nor do I, and that's what bothers me. Listen, we're going to track down McIntyre. Is there anything more you know, Matthias, that would implicate her? Yeah. Find out how much money was paid to Lone Star Engineering out of Texas. That company will tell me nothing, but Nigel would have access to all the records. I'll call him at home. You're going to the funeral tomorrow, correct? Yeah, then I'm traveling to Middleton for the game. I'll see you when you get back to Hamilton, said Strickland. No, no, I'll call you before that. This Elton thing bothers me. I'll track it down and call you. Good night, Matthias. Wait a minute, George. Would you just call campus police? Just verify when I call again that Bucky is back in Hamilton. Bucky? Yeah, he followed us up here and he's supposed to be back in Hamilton. Sure. <laughs> What's so funny, George? I would think you'd be honored by the presence of a uh, professional like Bucky. Again he laughed. <laughs> well? Good night, George. Jones set the phone back on the receiver. Coco stood only a few feet away. The professor, did she uh, bring the kid to the rectory? Jones tried to clear images of Bucky back in the rest area out of his head. Lowry's drugs. Well, that's not too far away, said Gallagher. Jones lifted the receiver and punched in Fred Dempsey's number. Who are you calling, Matthias? Fred Dempsey. The line clicked and connected, then rang twice. Jones was surprised to hear Fred's voice. Fred, this is Matthias. How was your trip? Matthias, well, my trip was great. We took care of the final editing at Ruggle House. I'm very excited. Fred, I'm up in Maine. Tammy Welch is being buried tomorrow. Well, that's awful. The reason I'm calling is Duff Davis. Did he know Elsie McIntyre? Sure. Both Sergi and Elsie had students at parties. Duff knew her, yes. Well, Duff is down at the Hamilton Police Station, and they're looking for Elsie McIntyre. Why? Apparently there's a witness who saw McIntyre drop Duff within four blocks of the rectory.
can't find, Elsie? Asked Fred. No, Fred. Were they real close? I can't tell you that, Matthias. I wouldn't say that unless they had something going on behind the scenes. He doesn't seem like a murderer. I know that. Express my condolences to her mother and stepfather. I didn't know the mother was divorced, said Jones. Well, Tammy was one of Elsie's students. I remember talking with Elsie about it. Oh. My wife told me you also fell victim to our illustrious campus super cop. Jones winced when he thought about Bucky hitting his car. My Jeep is presently in a radiator shop here in Portland. Well, I'm sorry about that. Fred chuckled. Get your headlight fixed yet? Nope. That man is a menace on the highways. Well, why limit it to the highways? I have some additional refinements to do at my office in the morning, and I'll try and track down Elsie. You don't think she murdered Sergi? Well... She spent all his money on art, which, by the way, might be stolen. Do you have any idea how much money was spent at that rehab at Mount Polaris? Oh, they handle all that. They? Sergi and Elsie. Jones nodded. See what you can find out, Fred, because I think Elsie took some of that grant money. Jones debated whether to ask Fred about his suspicions. Fred, don't take this the wrong way, but did you use any of Povich's material in your book? And he never got upset? No, as a matter of fact, he encouraged it. I used a few of his equations and plottings, completely insignificant. I see. Well, let me know if you find anything out about the Elton expenditures. Just because she gave a ride to Duff doesn't mean she's a murderer, Matthias. And neither is Duff Davis. I don't think he is. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 19 Jones and Coco trudged behind Hamilton's cheerleaders and students along a shoveled path, cutting the cemetery drifts. A small green canopy was set up about 50 yards away under several spreading maple branches and a clump of birches. Jones put on his gloves and looked over at Coco. Can't believe Tammy is dead. I feel bad for those parents. Coco blinked his eyes a few times in the cold, but he looked tired. Some son of a bitch just pushed that car into the quarry, Jonesy. He opened his mouth and yawned, exhaling a foggy mist into the air. You tired? Tired, yeah. And if I find that punk who kept playing that big band crap all night, that music went right through the walls. I slept through it and so did Jim. What moron listens to big band music at three in the morning? Asked Coco in a lowered voice as they approached the group now assembled around the preacher inside the tent. I was surprised you wanted to go to the service. You never know who's going to be standing in the crowd at a funeral. Tammy's blonde-haired mother, now Mrs. Tonya Erickson, stood next to her second husband, seated about ten feet away from her bronze-raised casket under the canopy. She was an older, wrinkled version of Tammy, her facial features modified with age and genes, and pasty makeup was smeared all over her face. Erickson was a huge man, bundled in a heavy overcoat and hat. His oversized face was caved in under cheekbones and water beads formed on his glasses. Jones counted over 100 people. In the cramped wooden church, he had listened to students speak fondly of Tammy, but Jones kept thinking about Duff's presence near the rectory. Stealing Gallagher's watch would allow him to plant it in Tammy's car, yet he could not bring himself to believe that Duff was a murderer. But Elsie McIntyre had proven her ability to take risks stealing art and siphoning Povich's bank account. The preacher continued the homily under the canopy, and a young woman gently stroked her acoustical guitar. When the ceremony ended, Mrs. Erickson placed a single red rose on the metal casket. 
As the people trickled back in the cars and engines running in the cold, she moved past the weeping cheerleaders toward Jones. Her blue mascara brown eyes were moist as she approached. You are Coach Jones? Yes, I am. I do wish to express my condolences for myself and the college, Mrs. Erickson. You're looking into my daughter's death also. Mr. Erickson sat in the long black limo. Well, I... Tammy was my pride and joy, Mr. Jones. She could be naive at times, too trusting. I need to find out why she was murdered. Please, come back to the house. We have a spread of food that we don't want to go to waste. She squeezed his hand. Thank you, Ron. My husband is interested in sports. He would enjoy talking to you. With his condition, he doesn't get out much anymore. Well, I'll follow the procession back. Thank you. Jones watched her return to the limo. She was met by a similar-looking woman who'd glanced at Jones. They all moved inside the black limo, engine running. Jonesy. Yeah, what is it? Look. Coco pointed to a long stone wall near a white clapboard shed. Jones turned. Bucky lay on a slanted roof of a small shed. Headphones slid over his hat, and the small antenna dish pointed toward the cars. I thought I told him to beat it. What's he doing? Listening in, the little maggot. Coco started across the snow. Bucky leaped up, the antenna in his hand, and fell into the snowdrift. He slipped several times and disappeared behind the shed. Coco slowed and turned. I'll get that cream puff if it's the last thing I do. I'll let him go, Coco. What harm can he do, asked Jones, catching up. He's a one-man disaster crew. Let's get to the house, and then we can head to the game. I'll call Gallagher from the house and tell him we'll be a little late. Coco opened the passenger door, and Jones quickly moved inside the driver's side. He started the sedan, and the remnants of heat pushed through the dash vents. Why would Bucky be listening? Because he's a little pea brain. I'll take care of him. The Erickson's tiny red ranch was boarded by towering pines that swayed in the snow-driven wind. Rows of cars, some parked on the front lawn, surrounded the house, and the smell of food wafted through the air. Jones opened the storm door to a loud crowd buzz, and Coco followed him inside. People were crunched together in the heat and ate with plastic forks from paper plates. A large woman in a flowery dress opened a steamy spigot of a huge chrome coffee urn on the counter and filled the white styrofoam cups for the guests. She kept staring at Jones as if he had just taken the house silverware. Mrs. Erickson rounded the kitchen hallway. Coach Jones, please come meet my husband. Jones left Coco at the door and squeezed through the crowd. Erickson, seated in the corner with a full plate of food, gazed up slowly and smiled. He lifted his pudgy hand like a crane, slowly hoisting a large load. His grip was smooth and limp, and his voice raspy. Coach, Tammy loved Hamilton. She loved cheering for your boys. Jones tightened his eyes. For a few moments, he did not know what to say. I understand this wasn't one of your best years for basketball talent. Jones grinned, but he noticed the rotund lady in the blue flowery dress was now in the front room and still glaring at him. Yes, you're right, we are struggling. You had a good football team this year. She wrote how Hamilton was undefeated. Yes, we were. The large woman's gawking was making him uncomfortable. We had some big guys in the front line. Jones strained to hear his voice through the crowd noise. The running game. I was a halfback. High school? Oh no, I played for Northwestern. Would never have thought I'd blimp out like this. I weigh 280 and have high blood pressure. Without medication, I'd been a goner a long time ago.
Coco nodded and peered out the front window, but was blocked by the woman in the flowery dress. She stepped forward and grabbed Jones's arm. Can I talk to you? Excuse me? asked Jones. I want to talk to you. Go ahead, coach, said Erickson, waving his hand. I hope you like gossip. Come with me, she said, pulling Jones's coat. She marched him across the room and dragged him into the kitchen. She poured him a cup of coffee and pulled out a chair. You had better listen to me. How do you take it? Light, two sugars. What am I listening about? Light and sweet, huh? She said, sprinkling sugar into the cup. She giggled when she poured the cream. A real man's cup of coffee. Who the hell are you? I'm Rosie Wilton. I'm someone who listens to what goes on in this town. You need to go over to Gorton, to the Gorton Inn. Jones sipped the coffee. I'm on my way to New Hampshire in about 45 minutes. I have a game tomorrow in Middleton, said Jones, pushing in the chair. I wouldn't do that. Well, I have responsibilities. Nice meeting you there, Rosie. Jones started back to the front room with cup in hand. She had a boyfriend. He stopped and his stomach tingled as he slowly turned. Who? You know who. Jones stepped forward and he spoke in a lower tone. She didn't have a boyfriend. Go to the Gorton Inn. Ask for Agnes in the restaurant. A cold wave swept up his back and lodged in his stomach. He walked deliberately toward Rosie. She opened her brown eyes wide. Agnes, how far is Gorton? asked Jones. Ah, piqued your interest, did I? She had a boyfriend back here? Fifteen miles inland to Gorton. I heard Agnes saw Tammy with a boyfriend. Did you talk to her directly? Well, no, I heard it at Bingo. Everybody's talking about it. Oh, naturally. Look, rumors like this start whenever the murder takes place, believe me. Coco weaved through the crowd and spoke into Jones's ear. That little grunt is out front with his antenna again. Jones wondered if the rumors were true about Tammy. Jonesy, wake up. He's listening in. Bucky? Yeah. Never mind him. Jones brought Coco back to the hall away from the people. We need to get over to Gorton. We'll pick up Gallagher at the hotel. What the hell do you want to go to Gorton for? That big woman in the kitchen just told me Tammy had a boyfriend. Yeah, see, I knew something wasn't right. Maybe. I have the name of someone to talk to in Gorton, said Jones. This could break everything wide open. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 21 Jones had two messages at the front desk. They wanted him to call Strickland at his house, and Tammy's mother wanted to talk to him. As he walked back to his room, Coco forbid Bucky to leave the radio on during the night. Gallagher extricated himself from the car. Well, Matthias, am I still a murderer, or have I been cleared? Well, I haven't decided yet, Jim. He opened the hotel room door and they headed inside the warmer room. What do you mean you haven't decided? Jones grinned and moved directly to the phone. You want something to drink, Matthias? Yeah, get me a Coke. As Gallagher went to the refrigerator, Jones set Povich's notebooks on the bedspread and he dialed Strickland's house. Gallagher handed Jones the cold soda can and Jones popped the top. My players like to pretend they're opening cans when they're in the stores. Old man Delmonico at the market in Hamilton thought they were taking soda. George Strickland. George, it's Matthias. Matthias, it's George. I never would have guessed. The cheerleaders got back in town. They said you were staying up there. 
Until tomorrow, I'll drive to Middleton to the game. Why are you staying? Because Tammy had a boyfriend. What? Strickland moved the receiver on the other end. What do you mean? Up there she had a boyfriend? That's exactly what I mean. Who? Nobody's talking. Apparently they stayed at this inn, the next town over, Gorton. I need that information. This could be significant. They won't talk to you, they'll talk to me. Coco opened the front door and stepped inside. I can get the local police chief to question the inn owner, Matthias. This boyfriend thing could be critical. Duff Davis has hired L.G. Bentley and is out on bail. Where's McIntyre? asked Jones. Well, that's another good one. The house is cleared of all her art and she's missing. And get this. The renovation cost at Polaris cost $416,000. How much did Elton give to the project? Almost 700000 It would have been caught in an audit, and I'm sure she knows that. This disappearance probably has been planned for a long time. I'm working on a theory. Well, what's the theory? She sent Duff to the rectory to poison her husband. He was in the area, and she dropped him off. You may be right. Lane needs more evidence. If Duff was involved with Tammy, Jones sat on the edge of the bed. The fact that McIntyre left town is outrageous, George. Coco sprawled on the bed. You telling me she split? She stole artwork, rifled his bank accounts, and skimmed the grant money. Come on. And you've asked Duff about all this? Yep. Then talk to LG. He's the lawyer, said Jones. LG won't say anything. Jones pinched the bridge of his nose. He did not want to tell Strickland he possessed murder-seam crime evidence taken by Bucky. George, the name Tibbetts came up. Who's Tibbetts? You best ask Duff next time you talk to him. Where did that name come up? Asked Strickland. Well, that's not important. Oh, I know what that means. Don't hold anything back, Matthias. What about Father Gallagher? Is he still under suspicion? Strickland stammered and cleared his throat. Matthias, do you know where Gallagher is hiding? He's right here in the hotel room. Yeah, right. Strickland paused. He isn't really there, is he? George, do you really think I'd harbor a fugitive from justice? Coco rolled his eyes. I won't answer that, and I don't want to know. I'm calling the Gorton police and the inn owner. Name is McCloskey. Call me if he cooperates. Tammy's boyfriend is the link. And George, you know about as much about this case as I do. Which amounts to absolutely nothing. I know. Good night. Jones set down the phone and looked at Coco. McIntyre is missing with the art. She ain't going to be so stupid to start selling off the art right now. His dark-eyed friend furrowed his brow. Let me stay up here with Father while you drive to the Middleton game. I don't have to be at Middleton until 2. He dialed Tammy's mother on the phone line. A squeaky voice answered the phone. Hello? Yes, this is Matthias Jones. May I speak with Mrs. Erickson? I'm sorry, she's getting Mr. Erickson settled. Can she call you back? No. Just let her know I'll drive by tomorrow morning, maybe around 10. Jones put down the phone. Gallagher sat next to the TV and ran his fingers around a green can of ginger ale. I wonder if she knows about the boyfriend. Why were they so damn sneaky? Asked Coco. He pushed on the remote and the news materialized over the screen. Quickly, he surfed the channels until he got to the basketball game. Mrs. Erickson knows Zippo, believe me. Tammy didn't want anybody to know about the boyfriend, which means he was some kind of creep or he was married and hiding it. Or maybe he was involved with things, shall we say, uh, on the other side of the law. 
Galaga's blue eyes peered at Coco over the ginger ale can. Doing what? Stealing art? For one? Who knows? Jones grabbed the phone and dragged the line across the room. Who are you calling now, Matthias? Jones turned at the door. Checking in with Fred Dempsey. He worked with Povich and was over his house all the time. Jones stepped out the outside door and closed it on the phone line. He was still unable to tell them he suspected Fred, and he hardly believed it himself. In the cold air under the yellow outside light, he dialed Fred's number in Hamilton. Cars passed on the highway as the line rang. Fred's wife answered the phone. Hello? Mrs. Dempsey, this is Matthias Jones. Yes, Matthias. You sound like you're miles away. Well, I am. I'm still up in Maine. Did you want to speak to Fred? Yes. I'll get him. Jones moved up and down on his toes to keep warm. He was not sure what he would ask Fred. In the background, he heard Fred say something to his wife, and his voice grew louder as he neared the phone. Yes, Matthias, this is Fred. Fred, I'm glad you're back. You book going well? As a matter of fact, we ironed out, or should I say my editor ironed out a lot of stuff. Stuff I really wanted to keep in there, frankly. Well, I've never written a book. Uh, I wouldn't know where to begin. Jones visualized the red ink on Povich's notebook. I'm sure Dr. Povich would have been a great deal of help had he had lived, said Jones. The cold air bit his back and hands. Well, Sergi was instrumental, that's for sure. His suggestions, well, without Sergi, I never would have gotten this book off the ground. Now Jones wondered whether he had engaged in pure speculation on the side road theory. How do you draw the line between the work of the two colleagues? Jones deemed it the perfect question. He did not accuse Fred directly, but got to the crux of his speculation. Maybe I should write a book on coaching at Hamilton College and consult Lark Larson. Oh, good luck. My wife says uh, you're still up in Maine. Yes, I decided to drive to the Middleton game tomorrow. Have they found Father Gallagher yet? Asked Fred. Not yet. You think he killed Povich. Well, I can't really say. Uh... Certainly motive is paramount here. They hated each other, and I hear Elsie McIntyre has left town. So I heard. Jones thought it odd that he should have the same information. Are they reporting on McIntyre's disappearance? No, I heard it from one of the police chief's men when I was getting gas downtown. They have your player Davis out on bail. That was in the paper. Povich was his mentor. Davis knew Elsie. Sometimes I saw him in Sergi's house. Jones stepped back inside the motel room. Did Duff know Tammy? Were they close? You know, boyfriend and girlfriend? Well, I don't know. I mean, they knew each other, but whether they... I have to check everything, Fred. Let's get together when I get back. Okay, give me a jingle either at my office or at the observatory. I'll be absorbed with this book thing for the next few weeks. I'll call. Good night, Fred. Jones hung up the line and opened the hotel room door. Jones stepped back toward the motel. Coco, fully dressed, snored on the far bed. Gallagher lay soundly, his eyes peacefully closed under the front bed covers. Jones tiptoed around the bed and set the phone back on the table. He moved to the cot along the wall and sat down. Fred did not sound like a murderer. But then again, he had learned long ago to watch what people did, not listen to what they said. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 22 
The bright light around the curtain was imprinted like a photographic negative as Jones closed his eyes. He had not slept since 3 a.m. All aspects of the case flew through his mind in bits and pieces, and nothing could be linked together. He felt himself drifting off again. body moved into a deep state of relaxation. The hotel shook with a thud, knocking the balance off the blinds. What the hell is that? shouted Coco. He was on his feet in his boxer shorts, and his gun was drawn as he moved toward the front door. Jones rolled off the cot, and Gallagher stayed behind. Coco raised the gun upward and slowly pulled back the heavy drapes. Ah, oh, come on! What is it? asked Gallagher. Oh, go look for yourself! Coco yanked back the drapes in the morning sunlight and snow-covered landscape brightened the room. That jackass! Jones looked at Coco. Think of it this way, Coco. You're alive to live another day. Coco shook his head as Jones threw on his robe and slippers. He opened the front door and moved into the colder air. Hey, Bucky! Hey, the donuts are in! He reached into the car and pulled out a box of donuts and several coffee cups. Oh, it's nice of you, Bucky, said Gallagher from the doorway. I feel like I owe it to you guys because of all the trouble I caused you. Jones looked at the cracked support beam and over to Bucky. Powdered sugar was stuck between his beard stubble and the coffee stains on his blue campus coat. Forget it. Maybe we can make a fresh start here. Bucky carried the donuts and Jones took the coffee back in the motel room. Coco had dressed and was putting on his narrow black shoes. Ah, here he comes. Have disaster. We'll travel. Yeah, at least you didn't have that radio crank last night, said Coco. No, I did. Jones handed Coco a cup of black coffee. Well, I didn't hear nothing. Coco sipped the coffee and stood. Jones held the donut box toward him, but he shook his head. Then he squinted. Where'd you get this coffee rodent? It's stone cold. Ah, Squeaky's at an all-night donut shot in Portland. Guess it was a few hours ago. Coco threw the cup into the wastebasket. You're a piece of work, you know that? I was out last night. You guys are going to be real proud of me. I didn't even tell Muriel about this. About what? Asked Jones, setting the cup on the bureau. Bucky, where were you last night? Uno momentum. Momento, said Jones. Yeah, right. Bucky slipped as he raced out the door, leaving it open. The car door slammed a few seconds later. Come on, it's cold in here. I could use a good hot cup of coffee. Bucky held a shopping bag in his hand. He shut the door. Pay dirt. What's in the bag? asked Gallagher. <laughs> you guys think old Bucky can't handle it. Old Bucky is just a klutz. Old Bucky is always bumping into things. Oh, gimme that, said Coco. He ripped the bag from Bucky's hands and pulled out a thick leather-bound book. Jones moved closer as Coco opened the book. That's the guest book to the Gorton Inn, said Jones, almost jumping off the ground. What the hell are you doing with the guest book to the Gorton Inn? Bucky compressed his lips into an odd, proud smile as he stood upright. While you people were sleeping, old Buck was hard at work. What'd you do, break into the inn? asked Coco. Yes, sir, all by my lonesome. Bucky jut out his lower teeth and seemed confused. But I don't see Tammy's name in the book. Jones shook his head and tried to speak as he munched on the donut. Well, they're not going to put the proper names in there. When this book is missing, the cops are going to come right to us, said Coco. Nice going, Driscoll. Bucky put his hands on his hips. I've taken courses in cryptology. Look, you guys, I can decipher anything. Jones sat in the chair and shook his head. Yeah, like my Jeep's radiator. 
I didn't wreck your car, said Bucky, his voice higher. The guy hit your car after I tripped on the ice. Look, we'll all head over to see Mrs. Erickson. He tried not to look at Bucky. I'll talk to Woozy and tell him I'll meet the team in Middleton. I'll have him bring my phone charger if you need to get a hold of me. We'll stay up here, Jonesy, see what we can find out. Oh, good. You're going back to Hamilton, punk, said Coco. I am? Coco placed the barrel of his gun against Bucky's wide cheek. Count on it. Jones drove his Jeep under the pines and up the Erickson's dirt drive. The temperature gauge hardly rose above cold. He shook his head, thinking of Bucky slipping on the ice back at Club Max. Inside the house, somebody pulled back the curtains at the front window as he closed the Jeep door. He doubted whether either Erickson or his wife knew about Tammy's boyfriend, but he was going to ask them anyways. As he approached the front stairs, the inner door opened quickly. Tammy's mother, in a purple pants suit, opened the front door. Thank you for coming over, Mr. Jones. I'm sorry I couldn't speak to you last night. The remains of the food from yesterday still lingered in the cool air. Erickson sat under a blanket on the couch. I can't complain when a woman wants to get me into bed. How are you this morning, Mr. Erickson? Not bad for an old codger. Can I get you some coffee, Mr. Jones? Asked Mrs. Erickson. No, no, I'm fine. Erickson's face tightened as if a cold blast hit his skin. You find anything new? Yes and no. She motioned Jones to the slip-covered chair. Were you two aware that Tammy had a boyfriend? Erickson did not flinch, but his wife opened her mouth. She momentarily closed her eyes. Tammy never mentioned a boyfriend, but then again, we weren't privy to everything that happened at the college. We didn't even know she broke her leg until the infirmary called. No, she had a boyfriend up here. Well, she never brought anyone home, said Erickson. It was a hidden thing. Apparently, they stayed at the Gorton Inn. Well, who was the guy? asked Erickson, adjusting his glasses. Jones shrugged his shoulders. Well, I don't know. Why wouldn't she bring a boy home, Mr. Jones? Do you think this person killed her? Maybe. The people at the inn aren't talking. The police are getting involved. The owner was paid money to keep the affair quiet. Oh, my God, what next? asked Mrs. Erickson, raising her hands to her temples. She stood and kept shaking her head. I'm sorry to bother you, Tanya, but I need my morning dosage, said Erickson from the couch. She nodded, eyes teary, and headed into the kitchen. This has been very hard on her. I understand. I don't mean to stir up trouble. No, no, we have to find the truth. Jones looked around the room, and neither man said anything. Erickson turned as his wife entered the room, carrying a white box of maroon letters. She set the box on the TV table and returned to the kitchen. I don't know what I'd do without the proper medication. I understand, said Jones. Mrs. Erickson returned with a clear glass of water and crushed ice. She set it next to the medication box and took two steps toward Jones. Mr. Jones, you have to find Tammy's killer. It won't bring her back. This is a complicated case. Erickson rummaged through the box. Last two tablets, Tanya. I need more labetatol hydrochloride. Jones's head snapped to the right. He shot to his feet. Labetalol hydrochloride? I can't believe it. I let it get down to one, said Mrs. Erickson, still looking into the box. Jones's heart thumped. You take that for your high blood pressure. Erickson set the glass down and looked up. It's a lifesaver. Something wrong, Mr. Jones? No, I'll call if I find anything. Jones did not want to upset them any further, but he knew once he contacted Strickland, the Portland police would be all over here asking them questions. 
He stepped toward the front door and now possessed a direct connection between Tammy and Povich's death. Please find Tammy's killer. Jones straddled the doorway. He wondered how they would feel if he implicated Tammy in Povich's poisoning. I have a feeling we'll get to the truth real soon. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 23 Afternoon, Jones crossed over the mountains into New Hampshire. The temperature gauge was stuck below halfway as he shifted along the icy rocks. With the labetalol hydrochloride connection to Tammy, Strickland immediately left for Maine. By now the local police would have questioned both the Ericsons and McCloskey at the inn. While Jones could not place a motive to Tammy killing Povich, his thoughts began to center on Duff and McIntyre. Maybe Tammy had mentioned the labetalol hydrochloride at one of McIntyre's parties. Both Duff and McIntyre had a good reason to want Povich dead. He kept the jeep in second gear and tried to figure a way to make Duff talk. Again, he thought about Fred Dempsey. Fred would not have killed Povich directly because he was in the science building auditorium teaching a class, but he, like McIntyre, could have ordered the killing. Duff was seen near the rectory, but he was brought to Prince William by McIntyre. McIntyre had left town with her art. That doesn't mean she killed Povich, Jones. It means she stole the art. Jones checked his watch. He would be at Middleton in 20 minutes. Hamilton College's charted yellow bus was parked behind the old brick gymnasium as Jones pulled into the crowded parking lot. Woozy pushed open the gym's rear door, trotted into the lot, and handed Jones the phone charger. Then he produced a piece of paper with a main area code written in red ink. You need to call Coco Stefani. I guess he bought another phone. Is the team ready, Woozy? Well, they're getting something over at the supermarket across the street. An hour and a half until game time. They'll be glad you're here. I feel like I've neglected them with this Povich thing. Let me call Coco and drive over to the supermarket. Jones returned to the Jeep and plugged in the charger. He inputted the number on Woozy's paper. Woozy trotted across the lot and disappeared into the gym. The line rang. Yeah. Coco. Jonesy, McCloskey split and the cops are questioning the other employees now. Georgie Poigie is up here too. Bucky's voice echoed in the background. Yeah, well, I'm George. It's just trickling. Is that Bucky? Yeah, the little rodent actually came up with something. Jones started the engine and backed up the Jeep. Well, I find that hard to believe. How do you know that? Jones checked the road and crossed into the supermarket parking lot. Jonesy, shut up. It ain't no fake. It's a perfect match. Trust me. I know forgeries. This ain't no forgery. Jones was convinced that Fred's handwriting was in the margins. My God. You need to get a sample of that kid Davis's writing. Jones pulled into a space near the snowbank and popped open the door. I have to meet with my team before the game. You'll have to get the notebooks and the guest books to the police. Yeah, then they start asking questions. Well, let Bucky handle it. He's the one who broke into the inn. Are you kidding? I'll call you. Jones left the phone on the charger and locked the doors. His stomach wrenched with the realization that Fred Dempsey might have engaged in liaisons with Tammy at the Gorton Inn.
Yet as he walked forward, he realized it was possible that Duff Davis, one of Povich's students, could have just as easily jotted in the doctor's notebook. Woozy hurried over once Jones moved through the automatic doors. I can't find him, coach. Well, how did practice go today, Woozy? Asked Jones, scanning the aisles. Good. They got the fast breakdown. That's what they have to do. Outrun these Middleton guys. Wear them down. Woozy trailed behind him near the registers, but Jones kept weighing the murder evidence in his head. Tammy was linked through her father's drug. She was murdered in the quarry to shut her up. That left Fred McIntyre or Duff. Fred was supposedly in New York when Tammy died. His team was lined up next to the customer service desk. A short, stocky man in a white apron shook his finger at them. Now what happened? The stocky little guy broke away and approached Jones. Sam was stitched in red thread into his white uniform. Are you Coach Matthias Jones? Yeah, what's the problem? I'm very surprised that a college basketball team would resort to pilfering my soda rack. Jones rolled his eyes and grinned. Are you turkeys pulling that routine again? Come on, we got a game going here. Oh, they've stolen before. No, 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 they didn't steal anything. The man pressed his rolling belly against Jones. I would like to inform you, sir, that this supermarket is equipped with all the latest technology. Every area, every aisle, every stockroom, even the parking lot is scanned by a black and white camera. I'm afraid your players have been caught red-handed. Well, I want to see that tape. I'm telling you, these guys pretend that they are stealing soda. He stepped toward the team. Make the noise. Noise, coach? The soda noise, like you're opening the can. Each member of the team looked toward each other. When they began simulating the sound of the popping cans, the little man tilted his head. I don't believe it. Then, said Jones, turning, I suggest we play back the tape. Sam nodded and motioned them to the back of the service desk. Jones marched behind his team up a set of stairs into a lunchroom. Down the end of a small corridor was a room with several black and white monitoring screens. Sam checked one of the several tape players and started the machine. A few seconds later, his team was on an indistinct black and white image. They walked toward the soda island and constantly looked up front. Jones watched, but he kept thinking about the labetalol hydrochloride. Tammy could have told anyone about her father's condition. The drug did not necessarily have to come from the supply in Portland. There, said Sam. He pointed at the monitor. Several of the players fiddled with the soda cans. Well, look, they didn't open anything, said Jones. Look closer. Sam squinted. It was clear that no one had opened any of the cans. Well, I don't think this is funny, making noises like barnyard animals. They are animals, said Jones, shaking his head. Can we go now? Sam looked at the screen again, and his head snapped to the right as Chet Barrows simulated the soda can opening again. You boys should concentrate on playing basketball and not taunting people. He's right, boys. Come on, we have a game to play. They started down the stairs. Thanks, coach. Let's hope you guys are as clever out on the court as you are in the supermarket. Anything more on Tammy? Asked Ronnie Fabio. I'm working on it. Jones reached the bottom of the stairs and caught sight of the box security camera in the ceiling. A lady passed with a cart full of food. Fruits and vegetables in plastic bags overflowed the top. As he followed the team to the outside door, he was reminded of Gallagher leaving the rectory to pick up the lettuce. He gazed at the security camera again. During the entire investigation, he had not considered someone lacing the lettuce at the store. In that instance, Duff could not have poisoned the food. 
As he moved through the automatic door and into the outside air, he wondered if Rizzo's market in Prince William had the same security system as this supermarket. Hamilton's quick lead continued through the second quarter. Jones had forced himself to focus on the game. Someone dumping labetalol hydrochloride into the lettuce required precise timing and having Gallagher actually pick up the lettuce. Jones looked up as the clock counted down. The buzzer sounded and both teams headed for the locker room. Jones gathered his team on the benches. He quickly recapped the first half and detailed what he wanted them to do in the second half. When they broke up, he headed for the payphone in one of the side offices. Through the long-distance operator, he quickly obtained Rizzo's number. Once connected, he requested the store manager and waited. Woozy rounded the corner and stuck his head in the office. Coach, Peter's not saying anything, but I think he injured his knee again. Then sit him down. I'll be right out, Woozy. This is Herbert Furlong? Yes, Mr. Furlong. This is Matthias Jones. Yes. Mr. Furlong, does your store have a security camera? You know, the video? Furlong said nothing for a few seconds. Well, I'm checking into a crime that may have been committed in your store. My store? Yes. What crime? Asked Furlong. Well, I think someone might have tampered with some of your vegetables. I still don't know who you are. You could be legally liable, Mr. Furlong, said Jones. Peter moved his leg from one of the benches across the locker room. Do you have a security system? I could be liable? Of course. We're talking murder. Murder? Jones heard people in the background. Last Tuesday, between 4 and 4.30, I'll have the police call you. Someone may have tampered with the lettuce. Oh, my God. Police will call you. Thank you. He set down the phone. Catching a killer on tape would be extraordinary. He quickly moved from the office and over to Peter. You all right, Peter? Peter held an ice pack against his knee. Strain, coach. I'm all right. Listen, maybe you should sit this out. Just a strain, coach. Don't sit me out, please. Jones pulled back the ice pack, but did not see any evidence of swelling. Peter, don't wreck that knee for the sake of a few minutes' play. Really? I'm okay, he said, standing and moving his leg around. See? I'll take your word for it. Don't be foolish. He turned to the rest of the team. Okay, let's get out there. Loosen up, boys. Keep the momentum going. The Strange Death of Dr. Povich Chapter 24 the headlights brought the overhead interstate sign into view. The first Prince William exit was two miles away. Jones's team had beat Middleton by 22 points, but his mind was locked into the investigation. Kevin Phillips would have arrived at Rizzo's by now. The homicide detective had spent the prior two hours questioning Duff Davis. Duff claimed to know nothing about the labetalol hydrochloride and denied ever traveling to Portland. Jones signaled for the exit ahead and quickly raced down the ramp. He moved by the city buildings at high speed, wove through the scant traffic, and raced into Rizzo's parking lot ten minutes later. Phillips's unmarked brown car was parked near the snowbank adjacent to the white concrete building. Jones locked the Jeep and trotted to the store. One of the clerks directed him to Furlong's upstairs office. He quickly located the security area behind the office and knocked on the door. Phillips opened the door. Oh, you must have flown down here, Matthias. I did. This is John Callie, the security director for Rizzo's. The short-haired Callie shook Jones's hand. Mr. Jones? 
Take a look at this, Matthias. Callie pushed a few buttons. On the wider black and white monitor, Father Gallagher's murky image appeared. He pushed a shopping cart across the front aisle as the time elapsed in white numbers in the lower right-hand corner. At 4.17 p.m. last Tuesday, he rounded the corner and was picked up by another camera in the vegetable aisle. Jones stepped closer to the screen and furrowed his brow. Gallagher approached the lettuce and lifted a bunch into his hands. Then he carefully checked a few others. When he had decided upon his selection, he spun the cart around and started up the vegetable aisle. Well, I didn't see anybody else, said Jones. Wait, said Callie. He switched to another tape and froze the picture. Phillips moved forward and pointed to an image at the far end of the store next to the doors. Jones looked closely at the blurred form of a blonde-haired woman on the telephone. Could that be Tammy Welch? That is Tammy Welch, said Phillips. Callie started the tape again. The woman set down the phone and as she walked toward the registers, the outlines of her face became clear. Tammy Welch, in a white sweater and brown coat and handbag strapped to her shoulder, moved steadily along the registers. Now watch the priest, said Callie. Gallagher looked upward and wheeled his car toward the service booth. Tammy was less than 30 feet away as he waited in the customer service line. He said something to the woman behind the counter, and she lifted open the counter gate. Gallagher left his card outside and entered a side door behind the service desk. Timmy Welch reached Gallagher's shopping cart and stood inconspicuously in line. She paged him, said Jones. She paged him from that side phone up there in the front of the store. Callie slowed the tape. Here it is, right here. Tammy dropped another plastic bag into Gallagher's cart and just as quickly she pulled his lettuce bag out. Almost immediately, she left the line and walked along the registers. She passed through the automatic door before Gallagher emerged from the service area's side door. She dropped the lettuce in a side trash barrel and passed through the automatic door before Gallagher emerged from the service area's side door. He stepped outside the service booth, retrieved his cart, and moved toward the register lines. She had nothing against Gallagher or Povich, said Phillips, but it was brilliant. Somebody put her up to it, said Jones, balancing his chin on his folded hands, and then killed her. I was paged, said Gallagher, speaking on Coco's new phone, and there was nobody on the line. Jones bit into his roast beef sandwich and picked up the fruit juice from his kitchen counter. Right. I left word with my answering service. They either beep me or I'll call where I am. I didn't think much of it. What does this have to do with anything? Tammy Welch paged you from a phone across the store. I saw it on a security tape. She moved from the phone and headed right for your cart, and then she switched the lettuce. Gallagher said nothing, and Jones heard the car racing down the highway. Oh, dear God, that little cheerleader murdered Povich. And tried to blame it on you. I think she may have been posing as Povich's secretary when you received the call to get the lettuce. asked Gallagher. She had no motive, but McIntyre did, so did Duff, and so did Fred Dempsey. Dempsey? I think his writing is in Povich's notebook, Jim. Which means he was Tammy's mystery man, said Gallagher. Gallagher said something to Coco and then spoke back into the new cell phone. Matthias, we don't have the notebooks or the guest books. Those books are vital pieces of evidence. Where are they? The phone jostled on the other end. Coco, what's this about the notebooks being... But 
I don't know where he went. That's the only physical link we have. Uh, we'll find him. I'll call you. Jones stood and slammed the receiver on the wall phone. That's stupid. He quickly dialed Bucky's number and waited for the line. A woman with a chirpy voice answered. Yes, are you Muriel? I am. Jones grit his teeth and tried not to let out the emotion churning inside. Muriel, this is Matthias Jones. Oh. Oh. Muriel, I'm trying to locate your brother. Well, me too. Bucky called from Maine this morning and I haven't heard from him. He said you two were working together to solve the Povich murder. Well, I wouldn't say we are working together. I think you're doing a wonderful job with your team, Mr. Jones. Well, thank you, Ms. Driscoll, but I need... Muriel, if Bucky calls, he needs to call me right away. It's very important. Of course, I'll tell him. I'll see you at the next game. Do we know each other? Well, I don't think we've ever been formally introduced. We've seen each other at games. Well, you're welcome at the games anytime. Well, thank you. Okay, I'll talk to you. Jones hung up the phone. Muriel's voice conjured up an image of a tall woman with long legs and blonde hair. He shook his head, knowing more likely Muriel resembled a woman with a red wig and a chiseled face like her brother. As Povich's notebooks become critical, Jones has figured out Povich's heart medicine's relationship to Gallagher's dinner. With the grocery store video system, he now links Tammy Welch to Povich's death. Next time, the crazy conclusion of the strange death of Dr. Povich by Robert P. Fitton. As for me, I'm staying away from lettuce as I fly back to Hamilton, New Hampshire. In the words of the great Lowell Thomas, so long until tomorrow. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.